Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, My name is Jim Del Campo. Uh, If it's your first time here, I'm the senior pastor here. It's good to have you with us. We hope it's not your last time with us today. And today is a great day because we start a brand new series today. And I always like starting brand new series. It's a lot of fun. In case, for those who know me very well, you know that when I get near the end of a series, I kind of just want to jump to the new series. That's just the way I am. But at the beginning of a series, I'm, I'm thoroughly excited. And it's not that I'm not excited on the last message of a series, but I'm the type that looks forward to that next thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I can't wait for that next thing to happen in life. Today, I'm gonna, we're going to start the series called Love Is. And we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 will be our springboard uh, set of scriptures. But let me start with this, this whole this, this story right here, uh, hopefully to explain some things. How many of you... Are, are, are like me. And let me say, when I find a food that I like, I beat it to death. Does anybody hear? I, I eat it and I eat it. Raise your hand. I want to know how many fellow people are going to heaven. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I eat it and I eat it until what? Until what? Until I can't stand it anymore. Until I can't take it anymore. And I, and I do this a lot. I mean, I'm the type of person that likes very few foods. My wife's always wondering, I don't know what to make you for dinner anymore. She's been saying that for like almost 40 years. <laughs> and so, because she'll eat anything, and I, and I just won't eat hardly anything, okay? I'm just that way. Well, there was this, there's this burrito, okay? This, this is the latest in the series of food that Jim found that he really likes and he beats to death. And so, where my son Nathan lives, he lives over off Riverwalk in La Sierra, and so we started to go visit the grandkids there because that's the only reason you visit your kids. Amen to that one. Because <laughs> otherwise, well, why would I go? You know. But he told me about this, this, this Mexican food place there. And uh, we went there. And I didn't order the burrito the first time. I think, Richard, you ordered the burrito the first time. And you gave me a little bite of that burrito. I go, oh, man, that's a really good burrito because... I'm an old Mexican guy. I, I'm like ground beef stuff. Anybody with me on that? Ground beef taco, ground beef burrito. You don't see that everywhere, but I grew up with that stuff. And so they had this ground beef burrito. And once I tasted it, I knew I was, I was taken in. That was it. And they have really good hot sauce. And so every time we'd go to see the kids at, at Nathan and Lindsay's house, and now there's two of them, there's Lincoln and there's Nolan, and um, I'd stop and get this burrito. And I get the hot sauce. And man, every time I'd eat it, how many know when you find a really good food, it gives you great emotional pleasure? (laughs) Right? And so every time I'd eat it, I had great emotional pleasure in my life. I loved that burrito for over a year. And then one day, we were driving to Nathan's house, and I turned to my wife and I said, Olivia... I think I'm done with that burrito, okay? I think I've just beat it to death like I beat everything to death. And I, I got to take about a two or three month layoff from the burrito and I've got to search for a new burrito to give me that same emotional high that I had with the last burrito, amen? Now think about that. 
Don't we sometimes, when we confuse what love is, don't we do that in relationships? This relationship is giving me such an emotional great feeling. Oh, oh you make me so happy. Oh, I, I, so, I just feel so, all these feelings in my life. And then if we're not careful, time goes by, and then soon the emotions wear off in a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean it's over, okay? That just means the emotions have waned, and now true commitment comes into play. Amen to that one? And that's what mature people understand about relationship. But I think too many people, they, uh, the relationships dissolve because they think that's what the defini definition of love is. It's just emotion. No, I'm sorry, it's not. You can get emotions, great emotions, from a loving relationship, but love in and of itself is not an emotion, not according to God's word. It is something completely different. And so today, if you have your Bibles or your app, whatever it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, that will be our, our platform for every message this week. We'll springboard from there, and today we'll do that, but we're going to define first what love is after I read that text. First off, what love is, and then we'll take one of the applications from that text today, which is love is is patient, okay? We're gonna do that, and then in that second point, I think there's four bullets that we're gonna go through, then we'll drive it home. Sound like a plan, any amens on that one? Okay, so here we go. And the whole point of this series is to try to help us um, enhance our relationships, our ability to be friends, our marriages, uh, if you're dating, to help us to see what truly love is and how these things apply in our life. So. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look at verses 4 through 8. Now, let me read it to you very deliberately. It says this, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then just the first few words of the next verse is love never fails. Now that's a mouthful right there, is it not? And the first one is, is love is patient. How many of you, you and I need patience in our life? Be honest, you just kind of need some patience. Raise them up really high. Now, you know why that is? That's because you're human, okay? And we all need to grow in our patience. So first we're going to define what love is, and then we're going to dig down into love is patient, and we're going to apply that into our lives with an Old Testament story. Here we go. Number one in your notes. Love is an act of the will, not a result of a feeling. Amen? Now, if you noticed in all those statements about love, did you notice what it did not say? It did not say, if you feel the emotion of patience, then be patient. Did you notice that? Notice it did not say, if you get the feeling of kindness, then be kind. 
did not say that either. It just says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not act unbecoming. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love is not provoked. If you saw that, you realize that love, the way God looks at things, and God is smarter than us, God says it's not an emotion. It's a decision of the will. I decide to do these things. Now let's equate that just to, as a follower of Christ, salvation. Our salvation. How many people, you, have, you can only speculate, have walked away from Christianity or walked away from Jesus because when they first gave their lives to Christ, there was a lot of emotional feeling, was there not? How many remember those days? It was a lot of emotion. But then you notice, as time goes by, emotions wane, don't they? They calm down. Does that mean a person is no longer a Christian? No, it doesn't mean that. You're not saved by what you feel. You're not saved by emotion. You're saved by what you believe. Amen to that one, right? And nothing should affect your belief. Nothing should shake that whatsoever. So just because you don't feel saved today doesn't mean you're not saved today. You are still saved because it's what you believe. Now, let me put this in a, um, in a context to kind of help. I'm going to put it, if for, for me, I'm gonna, I've been married 40 years. So I'm going to put it in a marriage context to try to help out this morning. Not in your notes, but there's, um, in, the, in the New Testament letter, last, it's the last letter of the New Testament, last letter in the whole Bible, it's Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Jesus, in these chapters, in the early chapters, is talking to seven different churches or assembly of people. See, church is not a building. It is not walls. Never think that. Church means an assembly of people. We get our misinterpretation of that. We start thinking, I'm going to church. No, you're going to a building, and you're going to be the church. You're an assembly. Because church, the idea of it is an assembly of people coming together for a common purpose. So with that said, if you're not involved in the, the fellowship, in the movement, you're not helping out, you're not fully in the will of God. Amen? Because God, Jesus created these things, and we're to move directly all together. So, but in Revelation... Jesus, with every one of the fellowships, and this one in particular is Ephesians, he offers a word of encouragement first. And then he offers a word of correction. How many know that's a wise way to go? You encourage, then you correct, right? You point out all the good, and you say, but there's this one thing I want to share with you, okay? But you don't do it the opposite way, because that just doesn't work. Because once you've crushed them, I don't care what encouragement you give to them, they're not going to hear it anymore. Make sense? Now, he says to this Ephesians church, interestingly, he says, in Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5, he says, you've left your first love. Now, who is his fir their first love? It's supposed to be Jesus Christ. That's the whole context. That's what it's all about. But let's take that idea and apply it to relationships. He says you've left. He didn't say you emotionally backed off or you don't feel it anymore. He didn't say. He said you've left. When you leave something, it is a conscious decision of the will, is it not? You've made a decision to leave. You've made a decision to distance yourself. And sometimes we can be sitting right next to say a spouse and we're so distant emotionally because we haven't connected we haven't done the right things right to cultivate the marriage amen to that one 
And that can happen to anybody, okay? Anybody, if we're not careful. Now, Jesus offers us a remedy if we've left our first love. He says this. He says, remember. He says, repent. And he says, do. Now, let me fill in the blanks of what he says, because I just gave you the three words. Here's what he said fully. He said, remember from where you have fallen. In other words, remember when you guys were dating. Just start remembering that, okay? Then he says, once you start remembering what it was like, then you repent. What does repent mean? It means basically take a 180. Turn around, and let's go back. You're making a conscious decision of the will to walk back this way because I'm remembering what it was like. And then he says, and do the deeds you did at the beginning or at first. In other words, go back, remember what was it like when you first dated. What did you do when you were dating? What were these things? Did you go out on dates? You know you did. Guys, did you spend money on her? Yes, you did. Now you don't want to spend any money on her. Well, that one must have hurt, huh? <laughs> so you go back and do the things you did at the beginning. Did you, I mean, do you have a weekly date time as a married couple? Do you do these things? You can apply this to any relationship, any friendship whatsoever. But every one of these things is a decision of the will. Now, somebody here is thinking, but Jim, it's not going to restore my emotions, my feelings. Really? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes to live in you, which is the DNA of God Himself, able to transform a heart and make a new creation, you don't think God can change your heart by making these right decisions with His power and bring back the emotions of the beginning? Any amens on that one? You underestimate the power of God, my friend. You underestimate what He can do. So, back to the point. Love is not an emotion per se. It's a decision of the will. You make the right decisions of love. So let's move on now to point two. So now we're going to take it into the first application of this five-week series. And that is this. Love is patient. Don't you wish patience was on the very end and not the first one? It's like, why is it the first one? Well, it just makes perfect sense it's the first one. Now let's go back and read uh, verse four of 1 Corinthians 13. Read it with me, would you? It says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not. In other words, it's not like, where were you? You're eight minutes late. Whoa, slow down. Love does not brag and is not, and is not arrogant. Oh, okay. Now, let's define what the word patience means here when it says love is patient. If you're taking notes, it means to endure, to suffer long, to put up with offense without getting angry. To endure, to suffer long, to put up with an offense without getting angry, right? If we just practiced that all over America, social media would shut down today. Am I right? Because all that is now is a bunch of people taking offense to everything when they can't even fix their own life but they want to tell you how to fix your life. I just find that such a hypocritical platform. Now, it means to endure, to suffer long, to put up with offense without getting angry. So love is patient. Okay, where does all this 
come from? Well, let's take a little sidebar and let's look at this. Now, put up 2 Peter 3.9. Now watch this. This is about the Lord, Jesus Christ. Watch some of his qualities here. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is what? Louder, but is? Patient toward who? Toward who? Who is you? It's everybody. Jesus is patient towards everybody. Not wishing for any to perish, but for how many? All to come to repentance. What does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, very briefly, that Jesus is so patient that he goes to a cross and he carries your sins in mine and he dies on that cross and then he waits patiently for us to come to him for salvation and he just waits and waits so he can save us from being condemned to an eternity in hell to put it very clearly, truthfully and bluntly now, he's patient but how can God Jesus is the God man how can he be patient? we'll put up the next verse it says this the one who does not love does not what? No God. For, read the end of it. Last four words. Here we go. For, oh, God is love. So now we see that God is love, and therefore, since God is love, love is patient. Therefore, God is love. Therefore, God can be patient. Amen to that one? Does it make sense? Okay, because God is patient. God is love. Now, what we're going to do here, we're going to go now, go to the Old Testament book, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book. Go way to the left if you have a real, a real Bible. <laughs> and then go four letters forward to Numbers chapter 21. Go to Numbers 21. It's a story we looked at two weeks ago correlating to John chapter 3 in our Tuesday night Bible study through the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the fruit of impatience. In the story, though, we're going to look at the fruit of patience. So I want to give you application and see how this stuff works because it's a great story of impatience because once again, as they're traveling through the desert, heading to the promised land, and this is nearing the 40-year mark, they're very impatient, and they've been impatient the whole, the whole way. How many of you have driven a long distance with little kids in the car? What's their question? Are we there yet? And you want to send him to the moon, right? After about the eighth time. Are we there yet? This is what Moses is dealing with for 40 years. Can you imagine? Okay, so now let's read chapter 21, verses 4 through 6, and then we'll give you three applications of the fruit of impatience. Watch this. Then they set out from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Edom is in southern Jordan. If you weren't with us the last Israel trip, we went into Petra, and so that's where this is. The Edomites will not let the Israelites travel straight through. They, they make them go around a long way. So now they've been going 40 years, and they're impatient. And the last remnant of the first generation that's supposed to die off because of their disobedience back in Numbers 13, they're the last ones, and they're really, they're really impatient. You know, so you, you could figure out, it's, it's a powder keg going on now. The people became impatient because of the what? There they are. Are we almost there yet? They're impatient because of the journey. Verse 5. The people, and by the way, how many of us have walked away, be honest, have walked away from God for months or a year because God didn't do what we wanted in our time frame, right? We got impatient in our personal journey of faith. And we walked away for a while. Never do that, my friend. Never do that. It doesn't make any, any sense. No, it's no better out there. 
So verse 5, the people spoke against God and Moses. Not a good idea. And they say this, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, first off, you think Moses said, How can I get him out there to kill him? Do you think that was his plan? It was never the plan, but they thought that must have been your plan. For there is no food and no water. Lie. Did God provide food and water? Yeah, isn't it funny how we can have the very things we need, but ah, you don't do anything for me. Isn't that crazy? And we loathe this miserable food. What's the food they're not liking anymore? It's manna, the bread from heaven. And the quails too, God brought quail. And so they loathe the miserable food. Now watch the consequence of their complainings. The Lord sent fiery serpents, in other words, poisonous snakes, among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people died. Now, sidebar, we also see a poisonous snake that can cause death in Genesis chapter 3, right? He bites them with a lie. Eve, Eve take the fruit, and you're going to be so spiritual, and then she takes the fruit, and she gets the poison basically in her, and she sins, and there's separation. Amen? And now because of their doing and their complaining, there's separation. People are dying now. That's separation, okay? So now, what, what do we have going on here? Let me give you three fruits of, of, uh, of, of the impatience here. So, the first one is this. There is uh, impatience cuts off others. Have you ever noticed that? When we get impatient, don't we cut people off? Yes or no? Okay, help me out here. I'm working really hard, right? Okay. Now, the word impatience here means something a little bit different. This word means to reap. In those days, when you reap a harvest, you come and you, you cut it off down there at the base. So you're cutting. And that's the idea of the word, to cut or to cut off. So when we grow impatient with friends, co-workers, spouse, whoever, we have a tendency of a decision of the will to cut them off. Do we not? Do we not? Okay. So, um, <clears throat> like I said before, I like to go visit my grandkids. And they're just, they're just a source of illustrations. So I was over at Vanessa's one day, and she's got Willa and Scotty. It's just two girls. Scotty's a girl. And uh, Willa's nearing three, and Scotty's about a year and three months. And, you know, they're just the cutest grandkids. <laughs> and... And, and Willa, because, you know, because she's nearing three, how many know they can be a little bit disobedient now? And it's awesome to watch as a grandparent, isn't it? And, and so, um, because, you know, they're, they're depraved, right? You know, no matter how cute they are, they're still depraved. And now, my daughter Vanessa, some of you know this, and I've shared it before, that when she was a teenager, and I would put parameters on her, right, because I'm a good parent... And your children will understand that you love them by putting parameters on them. If you let them do whatever they want, they will interpret that as you don't care and it will breed insecurity in those kids. So that war you're in now is a good war and it's a worth it war, is it not? That's right. Don't forget that. And don't be afraid of your children when they say, well, I hate you. When my kids told me that, they told you that? Yeah, they're Christians. You know what I'd say? Okay, you know, I still love you. <laughs> you know, you don't intimidate me, you know. I'm going to go eat tacos right now. That doesn't bother me one bit. 
but you know they're trying to get you emotionally don't fall for it but my daughter Vanessa when I would put parameters on her as a teenager and she didn't like parameters at all she told me this a number of times she said when I have kids you know right because there's because she could write a book at age 12 right parenting when I have kids I'm going to let them do whatever they want oh really And I would say, I cannot wait for the day. I cannot wait to see that day. It's going to be so much fun to see you let them do whatever they want. So now I go over her house, and Will is acting up, and she won't listen. And so Vanessa says, Willa, I'm going to put you in timeout, which means Vanessa is now her dad. She's just like me. She learned to do timeout as a kid, and now she's doing her kids. And then when she says timeout, then Vanessa does the count. You know the count. What do we count to? How high do we count to what? Three. Three. Oh, you know the count. She starts the count. Oh, she's doing the count. She learned it from me. All right. And then I'm sitting there as grandpa, and now it gets really fun. Because Vanessa says, Willa, what? And then I go, one and a half. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was, I drove home so happy that day. (laughs) It was like one of the greatest days of my life. It was just payback. I've been waiting years for this moment, man. But I've watched Vanessa put Willa in timeout. And she got to sit there. You can't be with the rest of us. How many of us put people in timeout? And we don't even count to three, huh? We count to one millionth of one second. Timeout! <laughs> we just push people away. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to be relate to you. I don't want to hang around with you. How many of us have even done this in marriage where you won't, haven't talked to your spouse for two or three days or even a day? Because they're in timeout emotionally, right? Because, you know, we're all grown-ups in this marriage. No, it's wrong. But that's what impatience does. It cuts people off. It pushes them, and that's not love. Now, the second application is this. Impatience says, this isn't going the way I want. Now, they're sitting there in the desert, and they're going, wait a minute, we should have been there by now. I don't like this food anymore. This is not going the way I want. How do we do that in relationships? You're not the person I married. You're different now. You're not meeting my needs. You're not this. You're not that. This is not going the way I want. And we start growing impatient with the people we're friends with, the relationship with, and everything else, and our spouse, right? And it makes sense so far? Okay, that's a quick one. Third one's where I want to really hit strong. And that, the third one is this. Impatience says, my unhappiness is your fault. Oh, Jim, don't go there. <laughs> my unhappiness it's your fault. Really? Yeah, it's your, it's your fault. <clears throat> they sit there and they say, Moses and God, you brought us here to die. We don't like the food. We're not happy. It's your fault. Okay, let's think about that. I'm going to give you two different applications for this. If this helps one or two people in the room, I'll be blessed for that. Some of you possibly grew up in a home where 
you had a parent, parents, stepdad, stepmom, it was like, you couldn't do it right. What's wrong with you? Why can't you get it right? Why, how come it takes you so long? How come this? How come that? And they were just mad people, angry people, unhappy people. And you tried and you tried and you tried to make them happy, but you couldn't make them happy. Because pretty, and pretty soon you start to crystallize, internalize that you're the person who's responsible for their unhappiness. And you're just a kid. And now you're believing a lie. And then you grow up. And you try to relate to people and you think when people are unhappy or you always perceive them unhappy, it's something that you're doing wrong. How can I make them happy? Can anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? You know what I'm talking about, huh? And you're always trying to make people happy. Let me free you right now. You're not responsible for anyone else's happiness. You're not. They're responsible for their own happiness. That's called growing up. Okay? You can never make someone else happy. See, the person who gets married thinking, you're going to make me so happy. Are you nuts? They're going to make you mad. How many married people know what I'm talking about? You, you love them, but boy, you make me mad. Everybody's responsible for their own happiness. Listen, listen. In life, if you want to be an adult, and you can do this through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, that's why you got to and deal with the old baggage. Your job, one of your jobs is, you develop the joy of the Lord in you, and you bring joy and happiness into the marriage, into the friendships, into the church, into everything. You bring it with you, and you don't expect other people to make, to, to make it happen in you. Amen to that one? You bring it. If you bring it, then you're not susceptible to being unhappy because you got the joy of the Lord in you. Does that make sense? But let me go back and say, you're not responsible for another person's unhappiness. That's their decision to be unhappy. Okay, let me flip the application now in the same one. When I said in, in the bullet point, you, you, you're, you're, you're responsible for my unhappiness here. Okay, How many, let me just focus it on, on, on marriage. Okay. okay, how many of you noticed that you're married to someone who's the exact opposite of you? I want to sit in the front row. Oh, no, Olivia wants to sit in the back row. <laughs> Olivia, let's go hiking. I'm a backpacker. Let's, I'll just take you one mile. No, you can go. You married somebody that's the opposite of you. Now, let me tell you something. You were attracted to them, right? Everything they did was so cute, huh? <laughs> they even burped cute. <laughs> and then if you're not careful, time goes by and pretty soon, you notice every little thing about them you don't like. I don't even like the way they burp anymore. <laughs> like, what are you burping for? <laughs> and then you focus on these little things and all these opposite things. And, and you say, why aren't they like me? Because if they were like you, you'd kill each other. <laughs> and then pretty soon, what attracted you, opposites attract, and then they attack. Am I right? If you're not careful, you attract, then you attack the very things that attracted you in the first place. And then once you start doing that, 
pretty soon that's all you can see if you're not careful and then now that's not making you happy and pretty soon your spouse who you perceive is not making you happy they become like the food in the story I loathe this miserable food and pretty soon you don't like them anymore why am I married to this person why are they this way you married them that way and now something's wrong? No, nothing wrong with them. Opposites attract. Who's the problem, really? It's ourself. We're unhappy. We're thinking they're supposed to make me happy. They're not going to make you happy. You need to be happy on your own through the Spirit of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen to that one? You cultivate that. Now, let's get into the fruit of, um, of patience. Fruit of patience. Now, <clears throat> Read the verse, it says, let me read the verse. It says, continuing the story. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Now they're repenting, huh? Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. Now, all of a sudden they need Moses, huh? Leave it up there. Before they're going, we can't stand you, Moses. We don't like the job you're doing. And all of a sudden, things are going bad in their life. They go, oh, Moses, Moses, I need to talk to you. Welcome to pastoring. <laughs> if you don't believe me, become a pastor. You don't believe how many people talk negatively about you, don't like you, say all kinds of evil about you. And then something goes wrong in their life years later. They show up unannounced. They need to talk to me. That's happened so many times in my life. And I don't sit there and get mad at them. It's like, nope, it's not what I'm going to do. What do you need me to do? What do you got to talk about? What's going on? And because you know what? You want to be a grown-up, right? So you have to develop thick skin in any leadership position. Amen? Now it says, and Moses interceded for the people. So what does he do? He prays for them. Now, no, 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 wait. Before, before the bullet point, let me ask you some questions. Did Moses tell God, when the people came to him and said, do something, did Moses say, God, cut them off. I don't want to see them. And give me some new people. Did he say that? He didn't say that. Did he tell the people, you know what? You're not making me happy. You guys are, you know what? Leave. Vete. You're not making me happy. That means go. You know. You're not making me happy. You're not making me happy. He didn't do that. Let me tell you what Moses doesn't do. He doesn't take it personal. Anybody here take things personal? Please raise your hand. Oh, we got a messed up church. Man. <laughs> I know a lot about taking it personal. So let me put it in a context so maybe we can admit some things. They won't apply to everybody, but uh, you know, we take things personal. Let's take it to driving on the freeway. <laughs> that already hurt, huh? Oh, and now all of a sudden you take things personal, don't you? <laughs> You're driving the 91 freeway. Oh, my gosh, man. You know, and people in bumper to bumper, they don't drive right, do they? And the way they're driving, it's personal now, huh? And they're idiots, aren't they? Everyone's an idiot on the 91 freeway. I'm the, I'm the only non-idiot here. What, have, what did their parents do to them? Right? Or let's take it to, let's take, I'll get back to the freeway right now. Let's take it to in town. You come to a red light, stop at the red light, but there's a car in front of you, it's the first one, then you're the car behind them. And it turns green. 
and they don't move forward within the one millionth of one second. And you're like, oh, you idiot. Now, you may not honk the horn, but you're honking the horn in your heart, huh? Because you ain't honking the horn anymore because they might have a gun up there, right? Because we live in a mixed-up society, huh? There's a lot of angry people. And so we take it personal. But let's go back to the freeway, okay? You're on the freeway, and some idiot <laughs> cuts right in front of you, which people tend to do, right? And now we have an idiot. And which, they did that on? Purpose. Louder. They did that on? Purpose. On purpose. Now let's examine that. Because I think it, we need to dive into the issue. So you're telling me that this person who cut in front of you the night before, I'll use, I'll use my name, okay? They don't know Jim Del Campbell, but they're lying there in bed, about to turn the lights off, they go, I don't know Jim. But I know tomorrow morning, I think, he's going to be on the Nitro Inferior at Imperial Highway at about 7.45 in the morning. I'm going to get there right at that time, though I don't know him. Don't even know what he looks like. Don't even know what he drives. But I'm going to get there at that time. And when he's there, I'm going to come up and I'm going to cut right in front of him. That's what we think, don't we? Like they mapped the whole thing out the night before. And all of a sudden, that idiot... They did that on? On purpose. They don't even know you. They have no idea about you. But we take, we take things personal, do we not? You're responsible for my unhappiness. You're the guy that did this. You're that person. No, we're responsible for our own happiness. Amen to that one? Now, okay, let's, let's drive this thing home now. The, 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 the fruit of patience. Screen, please. Patience prays and shows kindness even when it is not deserved. Wow. They go, Moses, pray to God for us, please. And they've already insulted him. And Moses, he shows kindness. He does the right thing. He, you see, he prays to God. Moses, shows kindness. Wait, let's back up to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is... Oh, it's kind. Did you notice the sequence? We cannot be kind if we're not patient. Right? If we're impatient, we will never be kind. You cannot take it out of sequential order. Love is patient and love is kind. Never forget that right there. Now, now let's finish this story, the last two verses within this little story here, because it's interesting. It's almost weird what God tells Moses to do once he prays to help these people. Watch this. We covered this a couple weeks ago on Tuesday night, but watch. Verse 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, here's what you do, Moses. Make a fiery serpent, a poisonous snake, and set it on a standard up on a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall what? He'll live. And Moses made a what kind of serpent? Bronze. So it's not a real serpent, is it? It's not a real snake. It's a bronze one. It's made in the likeness of the, of the snake. And set it up on the standard, up on that pole. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he what? 
looked to the bronze serpent, he what? Lived. That's kind of weird, huh? Okay. So Moses says, okay, guys, <clears throat> I'm going to make this serpent out of bronze, the snake. And uh, we're going to put it up on a pole. And when you get bitten by these poisonous snakes, God says, I'm just telling you what God says, just the messenger. When you get bitten and that poison's in your system, you better get to that pole pretty fast. And you better look up to that bronze serpent. Now, do they have to look up in faith? Yeah. You got to look up and believe, I'm going to be healed when I look at this thing. So it's a faith issue. Jesus now, moving forward over 1,400 years later in John chapter 3, as we studied a couple weeks ago, Jesus now refers to that event a long time ago that it really happened, but it's a symbol of what Jesus did for us. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man himself be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him, believes in Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, just like that bronze snake, Nicodemus couldn't understand in the moment. He's going to understand it later. I'll be lifted up on a cross. I'm going to carry the sins of the world. I'm going to be that person. And so whoever looks to me in faith, whoever gives their life to me, whoever professes that I am the Messiah, God in the flesh, the Savior come to save mankind, whoever does that when they look to me, the sting of sin which causes separation from God throughout eternity in hell, that will be washed away. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now guys, Jesus did that a couple thousand years ago. Can you imagine how patient he's been for a couple thousand years? How many people have rejected Jesus? How many people take God's name in vain? How many people take Jesus' name in vain? And yet Jesus is patient. Because love, God is love, love is patient, love is kind. And he still extends his hands out to anybody who wants him to save them from their sins. I know uh, there's a number of you that follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and I'll do my one-minute messages and stuff like that. And so I'll, probably a good percent of you or maybe half of you know what happened this week, which is a very, very traumatic thing for me. I had to put down my dog. And for those of you animal lovers, you know exactly what that feels like. My dog Max, short for Maximus. Um, I had him for 14 years and three months. We got him at about six months old, so he, he was shy of his 15th birthday. There's a little Shih Tzu, part Shih Tzu, and part, we don't know what else. But he was my boy. He was, he was my boy. And I struggled, I struggled about putting him down, because, you know, you feel like I'm going to be a murderer. I, and I remember it was the week, week leading up to Easter, I said, okay, next week next week. Let me just keep him Easter. Let me just keep him Easter. And so, I remember I'd tell myself, gosh, Max, you have five days to live. Max, you have four days to live, Max. And then Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I did a funeral at noontime, and I'm, throughout the day, I'm going, Max, you have six hours to live. Max, you have three hours. Because I had an appointment at Centennial Animal Hospital. It was rough. And I took the afternoon off after the funeral, and I just want to sit with him a little bit. Because he's my boy. And uh, I'm watching the minutes click by. 
And I knew four o'clock was coming. And then it was time. I had to take him. Picked him up, took him. Olivia went with me. My son Nathan was in there with me and Olivia. And if you've ever been in there, they, they hook up the IV. And, and now I'm breaking down. They give him the first shot, which really sedates them. They're really calm and everything. And the second shot's the shot. And then the doctor looks at me like, I go, you're waiting for me to say yet when? I go, go ahead, because I can't take much longer in this room. And he gives him the shot. And he puts a stethoscope. I got my arm on Max, leaning over him, and I said, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay, your daddy's here. And he has a stethoscope on him. It's probably six seconds. And he just drifts off. And he goes, okay, he's gone. And now I'm really crying. Um, see, Max got old. He just got old. He just couldn't do a lot of things. He didn't, didn't even want to walk anymore. He fell over if he walked. And I'd have to hold him. I'd have to have a harness on him, hold him up so he wouldn't fall down and pee on himself. It was bad. But I held on as long as I could. There was many a morning, well, every morning I would come down in the morning see if Max, because if he peed or pooped on the laminate in the house, and it was just like that. It was that way. And I'd come down, and I'd, if I'd had to clean it up that morning, and this and that, and, and that happened many, many times. And uh, even the night before, that Tuesday night, he, poor guy, just went right there after he ate, and I'd clean it all up. But you know what? I thought about that. I thought, every time he did that, on the laminate in the house, because my dogs are indoor dogs, you know, I never got mad at him. I was always kind to him. I was always patient with him. Because I loved him. Because I love my boy. still love him. You see, when we have love, we can be patient and we can be kind. We can do those things to anyone. And what if we lived that way? If we lived love, patience, and kindness towards everyone the way Jesus does, then it would be Emmanuel, God with us, wherever we go because we'd be the little Jesus walking around, reflecting God, God's love, God's patience, God's kindness. Emmanuel would be all over the place, God with us. Jesus said this. He says, a new commandment. Notice, not an emotion, not a feeling. A new commandment, a decision of the will. I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. How did he love us? It says to the end. He went to the cross all the way to the end. He loved us to the end, fully. That you also love one another. This is the command. This is what we're supposed to do. doesn't matter if you feel it. doesn't matter if I have emotion for it. It's just what I'm supposed to do because it's the right thing. It's the God thing. Amen. Let's pray.
See, these things only cultivate in us if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because they're spiritual things from the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit, it says in Galatians 5, New Testament letter says, is love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, long-suffering, endurance. And God can grow these things in you. Because once you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live in you, and now you have the DNA of God. Spiritual DNA of the creator of the universe. And you begin to cultivate it, you begin to grow it. And it changes your life. You say, I can't change. Oh, yeah, you can, because God can change you. And you surrender to God. And you let this infusion of the Spirit of God come into you. And you study the scriptures. And you worship in church. And you're in the fellowship. You do all these spiritual things regularly with non and nonstop. And you watch the transformation take place. And every year gets better and better. But it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. He went to a cross. He carried your sins. He carried my sins. And he died for us. He carried them. He was that bronze serpent up on the, on the, on the, on the pole. But we've got to look to him. We've got to look to him. When we do and put our faith in him as the only God, Messiah, the blood of Jesus washes all, the way, all, all, all of our sins away. Isn't that great? And thus eliminating the sting of eternal separation from God the Father. That when we die, we go into eternity with God the Father. And eternity is a long time. It's not ending. And I'm going to offer that to you. Whoever in this room, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You've never done it. But it's making sense now, isn't it? It's the only thing I think that makes sense. It gives you the way. A way into eternity and a way of personal transformation in this life. And if you'd like to place your faith in Him, I, I say great, outstanding. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you backslid. You walked away. You left your first love. It's a, it was a, a conscious decision of the will. You can't blame anybody else. It's a conscious decision of the will to leave your first love. But now it's a conscious decision of the will to come back to your first love and stay close to your first love. Let's fix that today. Let's fix it. So if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and walk with Him for the rest of your life or rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing as a sign between you, me, and God. I want you to open up your eyes, look up at me. And I'm going to look around, and once our eyes meet, you can close them, but do it right now as a sign between you, me, and God. Go ahead, do it now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. God bless you. 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 God bless God bless you, God bless you. 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 Okay, now I'm going to say this prayer. And those of you who looked up at me, I want you to repeat this prayer. And when you repeat this prayer, understand you're putting your belief in Jesus as the only God and Savior. You're jumping in two feet first and you're going to follow Him and He's going to be your God and the Bible's going to be your guidebook. 
The Spirit of God's going to come dwell in you now, and your sins are going to be forgiven. All of them. Every last one of them. So let's all repeat this. All you Christians in this room, repeat it out loud after me so that those who looked up with, with, with me will repeat it with us. Those at home who are giving their life to Christ or rededicating, you do the same. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would give your life for mine, that you would shed your blood to forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. And I know I'm forgiven. It's all washed away. Holy Spirit, come live in me. Change my life. I surrender to you and to your ways. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm born again of the Spirit of God. Now let me pray. God, I pray for those who looked up. I, I pray that you, you, you dive in now. You, you get yourself in the Word of God in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go to the Welcome Center. They'll give you one here at the lobby. But you get in there. Start reading the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for a couple of years. Get into a small group. Get into, or get into Tuesday night Bible study and start learning about this Jesus Christ who you follow. Get into church and worship God. You cannot be a loner, an isolated believer. That doesn't work. Satan picks you off. You've got to be in the fellowship. Get involved. Start serving. Get involved. And then watch God do great things in your life. But know that you know that you know that you're a saved person. That your God is God in heaven, the only God. And that you're a child of that living God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Huh? If you need prayer, or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.